Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the MedTech Podcast. You join me, host Karandeep Badwell, and in today's episode I'll be hosting Giovanni Loricella, also known as Mr. MedTech. Giovanni is a connector of MedTech professionals to insights, people and startup capital and has travelled to over 43 different countries. He is currently based in the USA working at the Mullins Group within Global MedTech Talent Acquisition and on this episode he shares his journey, the evolution of technology within the industry, the move towards predictive rather than reactive treatment and the differences in growth within other countries. Welcome to the show, Giovanni. How are you today? Doing very well, Karen. Thank you for having me. So, Giovanni, please tell me, what is Mr. MedTech and what is your purpose? <laughs> Good open-ended starting question. Um, Mr. MedTech actually started off as an idea and, and it's evolved into something that I'm having a lot of fun with today. Um, Mr. MedTech, uh, honestly, that's, that's me. And my purpose behind that, and I'll get into my story, Mr. MedTech, or my absolute infatuation with the MedTech industry globally, um, is what I've done over the past decade or so, which is build teams for MedTech startups with my team. And um, having worked with a very entrepreneurial ecosystem of startups and investors, um, what I've been able to help out is build those teams work with the VCs who have hired us to put in CEOs and change management into their investment portfolio companies, and then work with those CEOs to then build out their executive teams or their middle management teams or their individual contributor teams. And everything from, once again, that C-level to entry level and very early stage R&D all the way through global commercialization. So that's on a team building side. And then additionally, because we swim in the very same pool of entrepreneurs and investors, it's by natural amassing of contacts within a network that we've been able to help out startups connect with the right investors. And to date, especially throughout COVID, um, been able to help more than 50 plus startups raise over $150 million uh, throughout that facilitating of introductions. So keeping that from very early stage, seed stage funding, and all the way through growth stage capital as well. So People and money and med tech are my game and it's my industry and I absolutely love it. So Giovanni, where did the inspiration come from? Where did you get this idea to create Mr. MedTech? Thank you. I, I, I love it because it's, it's romantic and it's very unromantic at the same time. And it's more been like an evolutionary story than anything. And so I was at a conference in Leipzig, Germany uh, in January in the dead of cold and it was a five day conference. And underneath this, uh, I should say underneath Leipzig is these Roman catacombs. And in this particular conference is very famous for the Thursday night of having this massive party for everyone who's part of this conference, physicians, industry uh, professionals, et cetera. And so it was a blast of an evening and one more day of um, the conference after which I came to realize almost no one shows up to because of what happens the night before. And I had to get on a very early morning flight that morning and flying back from Leipzig to Frankfurt and Frankfurt to Miami. Um, and after having quite a good time on that Thursday night, I was in this, uh, this stupor, if you will, on this very quick flight from Leipzig to Frankfurt. 
Now I was just thinking about, you know, it was a great show, met a lot of people, networking. I, I lived on a plane basically before COVID. And so I don't know how it got popped in my head, but I'm like, I wonder if there's a Mr. MedTech out there or, you know, Mr. MedTech MM kind of goes with, and I'm, and was very into buying websites, right? Like if, if you come up with something unique or cool sounding and, you know, let's see if the, the website's available. And so I used to do that quite frequently. And then I stopped when I landed in Frankfurt, I just typed in and saw if mrmedtech.com was available and it was, and I bought it immediately. And as soon as I bought it, I, I was glad I had it, but I had no idea what I was gonna do with it. What, what was it gonna turn into? Um, and so as a placeholder, and I'm quite active on LinkedIn, sharing industry-focused material. Um, I would hashtag Mr. MedTech on everything I put out. And it was my new rule that no matter what I put out there, it was hashtag Mr. MedTech just to kind of build some sort of following or story. And it was a beta. I had no idea if it was going to work or not. And a few months go by and I'm relentless on it and I don't stop. And I have a few client calls. And once in a while, one of my clients would be like, how's it going, Mr. MedTech? And I'm like, and I, and I always got almost embarrassed when people would call me Mr. Medtech and it wasn't really a, it wasn't my intention. Um, and then it kind of compounded on itself. And, and so the, the famous memory of which then it, that's when it turned into something, at least in my head and heart was, uh, I was in San Francisco at a conference and I am crossing the street, waiting to cross the street. And this guy on the other side of the street in San Francisco, and I, I live in Miami, so not my hometown. I was there for a conference, and he's looking at me, but like looking at me with intention and almost kind of like staring at me up and down. And I'm like, what is this guy looking at? And the light turns green, and we start walking towards each other, but he's he's not stopping looking at me very intensely. And as we're about five feet away from each other, he goes, Mr. MedTech? <laughs> like, Okay, so that's clearly this branding thing is, is obviously working even from a hashtag. What could it be if I actually did something with it? And so from there on out, you know, I've, I've taken it a little bit further of making sure that my industry information that I'm pushing out there to my network has a little bit more of an association with Mr. MedTech to keep the purity of the data integrity, if you will, of, of making sure that if Mr. MedTech or my name's associated with it, then you know it's something relevant within the med tech space. And that's really where it's left off since. Okay, so Giovanni, I mean, in terms of med tech, so you've touched on this topic a bit. What do you see the future of med tech as, you know, are we moving towards robotics? Are we moving towards AI? Please tell me what you see in the future. I think it, A, both of those, those are being in development right now. Um, there is a massive push and, looking at it from an investor standpoint, we're seeing a lot of classic investors, med tech investors. And I, when I say classic, meaning, you know, catheters and pacemakers and new mechanical style implants, for example, like the most classical medical device or scalpel, if you will. And they're starting to get into these new funds that they're creating that are heavily leaning more towards digital or digital health um, or even SaaS focused where it's some sort of data play not to say that we're tapped out in terms of medical device development in, in a mechanical style or a systems level tangible style there's a lot of room to grow but there's a lot of unexplored territory in terms of being able to properly encapsulate data 
and what does that mean um, and what to do with it properly. And so you're seeing a lot of innovation lead towards artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning. And these are all buzzwords that are floating around like crazy. I've talked to numerous investors and it's certainly not a fad, but major challenges that exist in this digital health slash software, AI, ML, deep learning environment that we're talking about. The two major challenges, who's gonna pay for it? And does it really produce meaningful clinical outcomes? And there are things that have been worked on to get reimbursement. And there are things that are in this space rather that are producing meaningful clinical outcomes. But there's a lot of area to improve on what are we doing with this big data? What are we doing with this digital health? How are we actually affecting what is really what the whole world's trying to get to, which is more predictive analytics, predictive healthcare, as opposed to reactive healthcare. So um, I don't necessarily think that the industry is committing towards only digital health or only robotics, or it's, it's a, an assemblance of an evolution of, of technology and where we're supposed to be going, right? But I think on a more grander level, it is an involvement of the industry leaning towards having a stronger predictive healthcare system, enabling and, and reducing healthcare costs by having diseases diagnosed early. Bodily uh, challenges, if you will, um, being fixed earlier, predictive analytics, diagnostics, et cetera, being able to help the patient population out there have things be identified before they happen, especially in stroke and in heart failures, or, and even oncology, some of the major man killers out there, if you will. And so um, I think that's how you would best want to look at it is the holistic view of us being in getting more involved in predictive healthcare rather than reactive healthcare. Okay. So Giovanni, the question I'm going to ask you is how did you get into medtech? You know, what was it inspiration? Did you fall into the industry? Please tell me your story. So I had zero health background. I, I had an undergrad in finance and um, I, graduated during the real estate global recession. And at that time, being an early stage undergrad, much like the um, COVID recession right now for some early stage undergrads, right? Um, what does the outlook of getting jobs immediately look like for them? It was somewhat dismal. And so I also lived in South Florida at the time, which is really built on a lot of service industries and hospitality and not necessarily uh, anything techie or, or health. It's, it's changed since then. We have a, a lot of things that are happening down where I live now, um, but 10 years ago, 12 years ago, it was quite different. Um, and so I moved to Central and South America and to make a very long story short, ended up getting into my first foray of health down there uh, with medical tourism. And, and really it's finding that arbitrage of having predominantly um, Americans here in the United States who have a lack of access to healthcare uh, due to the fact that they don't have health insurance. And if you have a terminal illness um, or some sort of health challenge that is incredibly expensive 
that is going to be either massively lowering your quality of life or once again terminal. There are places in Central or South America, or for that matter, global um, health or medical tourism is, is a global business at this point, but there are places where you can go there, the healthcare is significantly less expensive. You do have to pay out of pocket, but it's significantly better than the alternative of not being able to afford it and not getting anything done in your home country. So um, I specifically went to Costa Rica and, and in Colombia, and that's where I had my first foray into developing a network of medical uh, tourism physicians that were US educated. And that was part of the selling aspect of, if you are looking for this, this, and this service, here are US educated physicians that in theory would offer the same um, medical care for a 10th of the price. And so we put that network together. It was actually a company that we ended up selling to the, the Colombian government um, and for peanuts at the time. And, and I was quite young and, and it was just an opportunity to get exposure to something, but that was my first great experience within health and also the business of health. And so when I had come back to Florida, I ended up joining my current firm, which is the Mullings Group. And it is a recruitment firm solely dedicated to med tech startups. And we expand that med tech and health tech, which is encapsulating that classical medical devices we talked about, digital health, SaaS platforms, et cetera. So um, that was how I jumped into the actual med tech industry. And I fell in love with it so much that dealing with these entrepreneurs in med tech, dealing with the engineers, the quality assurance, the clinical trials, the regulatory affairs, the manufacturing, um, I quickly understood that there was this underlying blanket that covered the entirety of a med tech organization, which was the regulations. Um, we ultimately live in a regulated industry globally. Obviously it's different in, in each country, but there's this underlying regulations that exist no matter what, and we all have to play by the rules. And if we don't, then that's where the challenges and consequences come in. And I, and I thought that that simple function of regulatory affairs was the glue that kept everything together. And so um, after having been in my firm for a couple of years, massively fallen in love with the global med tech industry, I wanted to go deeper and actually build my career even further. And, and initially I was gonna go back for an MBA um, was talked out of that pretty quickly. Uh, I love school and I wanted to get another degree. And um, I was advised that if I waited a few more years and squeezed the juice out of getting some better professional experience, I'd likely have a more deeper learning and deeper appreciation for an MBA later on. So I still wanted to go back to school. And I found out that there was regulatory affairs master's programs. And it was in biotechnology, pharmaceuticals and medical devices. And you can, you have to learn all three of them, but then you can major in one of them. So that's what I did. I, I got my master's in regulatory affairs. I majored in medical devices. Um, it certainly helped deepen and also open my mentality to how this industry is really functioning. So help me out in terms of my professional understanding of how this industry works and certainly with my clients and the candidates that I work with and um, even the investors that I have to interact with. So that was very beneficial. And I haven't left ever since and I don't plan on leaving and all of a sudden a, a hashtag turned me into Mr. MedTech. <laughs> I mean, you're a very well-traveled guy. When I look at your itinerary, the amount of countries you've traveled to is absolutely amazing that a guy can do that in his lifetime. And, you know, I'm quite impressed to see that. In terms of traveling around the world, a lot of people talk about UK, Europe, USA. 
But I'm guessing the countries that you've traveled to, there's a lot of opportunity in medtech. What have you seen in the rest of the world that you can share with us today? Ooh, um, a tremendous amount. So first and foremost, let's start in India. Um, there's an absolute booming economy of innovation happening in India. There's multiple multinational corporates that have their footprint in India. Um, it is in, more and more on a seemingly daily basis becoming an entwined country into the global ecosystem, whether it's ongoing clinical trials, more innovation, outsource manufacturing, whatever it may be. Um, but there's a lot going on in India. So I think certainly the world should keep at least at a minimum a peripheral eye on that because there's a lot happening there. Certainly the amount of people that are there to back it up. So um, that's number one. China, there's a there's a, a lot of innovation and change happening right now. The NMPA, which is China's version of the FDA, um, is hyper-refining their regulatory systems and they're in a transition period of trying to break these stereotypes of what the world um, used to put them in, in terms of a categorical box. Uh, you know, th there's a lot more partnerships being done right now with innovation and trans, uh, joint ventures happening, money coming in and out of China invested in med tech, especially these bridges between China and the West are certainly becoming more apparent. There's a lot of room to grow, trust me. We're, we're still in very beginning stages, but I think the fact that the NMPA is making strides in terms of um, being able to refine the regulatory systems, which is only gonna allow it to help be a better collaborator with other countries. And we're seeing that done right now. So China is certainly something to watch. Australia, more and more, we're hearing about how clinically effective it's becoming to have your clinical trials there. So a lot of companies around the world, whether it's in Europe or Israel or United States, North America, wherever have you, are starting to run their clinical trials outside of, or I should say, in Australia. Um, their first in man's early feasibility trials, whatever it may be. So in addition to that, it's, it's a great ecosystem of engineers. You're, you're hearing a lot of implantable technologies, electromechanical uh, neuromodulation technologies come out of Australia. Um, really wonderful university systems are there as well. And, and it's also a very transient country. So you're hearing about a lot of cultures that are amalgamating there, building something, and then having relationships with the outside world where they're either raising capital or doing their clinical trials elsewhere, et cetera. So Australia is becoming a strong uh, global player as well. Israel, startup nation, tremendous amount of R&D. Um, and then you have other areas around the world that are certainly coming on. Um, I'll stop there in case there's any questions. Okay. I mean, so obviously you, you're Mr. MedTech. What do you do outside of work? What are your hobbies? You know, please share, please share your personal life with us. <laughs> um, I love books and I don't know how cliche that sounds on this, but I, I actually do. It's a, it's a way of um, pressure relief. It's what I do in between super intense phone calls um, I will give a, a shout out to one of my partners who, who taught me this trick. Um, well, so I constantly have a cycle of four books going at once. And it's not because I have ADD or because I can't focus or concentrate, but there was this philosophy that he shared with me a year or two ago and, and it just worked. Um, I have at least one fiction book going on, one personal health book going on, 
um, one book about business going on and either something that I'm not mentioning right now, I can't think of or double up on one of the three that I said. And, it, and it's this constant, like when you wake up in the morning or even throughout the day and you want to read a quick chapter or just engage the mind, um, sometimes you don't feel like reading fiction all the time. Or sometimes just constant business theory gets boring if you wake up at 5 a.m. and that's the first thing that you're reading with a cup of coffee. Um, so in order to keep on reading, you have these different styles of books and that way you constantly keep on reading. And then it also allows you to read a lot more books faster. So I love reading. Um, I'm an avid physical exerciser and, and I love fitness. And so I'm, I'm in the gym minimally four days a week and um, something on the weekends. Uh, so that's personally part of my day. I, I wake up very, very early. So anywhere between four to five in the morning is typically when I wake up and, you know, we'll walk my dog, grab a cup of coffee, start stretching and then jump into reading. And then it's immediately right into the work day, which based on the fact that I work all over the world, it never really ends. So um, I would say personal management is, is another hobby because I don't have a choice. I mean, Giovanni, you're a very well-traveled man. What's the biggest life lesson you've learned, you know, working in med tech, traveling around the world? You know, what's the biggest lesson you've learned in your life? There are so many more similarities amongst us than there are differences. And I think um, it took me a while to, to have that resonate with me as much as it did. Um, but there's always an excitement of traveling somewhere brand new. And you assume that it's like going to Mars if you haven't been there before. And once I really built up a circuit and, and it was year after year, and I would always go at least one to maybe two new places a year. Um, but there was like a circuit that I was on where you started visiting places. and. And I was, there was one funny story that my travel schedule got pretty wacky for a little while. I, I would be, you know, from Miami going over to China and come home for three days. And then I'm going over to Ireland and then come home for a week and then I go home over to Israel. And then you come back and wherever else that I had to travel. And there was one time I remember I had like four very different trips around the world and I had to come home and then jump on a last minute flight to Israel. And it was the first time ever that when I woke up, I didn't know where I was. And I had to actually open up my window and look outside to be like, where am I right now? Um, and that was in Israel. <laughs> so uh, it was cool to wake up in Israel, but I, that was the first time that I was like, okay, you gotta maybe slow down a little bit because I don't know where you are. But the, to answer your question is, I think once I got on my circuit and I started going to all these very, very different places, the Middle East and the Far East and the Southern Hemisphere and everywhere else in the Northern Hemisphere and Europe all the time, um, it, it obviously the newness wore off because I've been there before. And you just start almost feeling like it's your second home and you, you know where that corner store is and you know where that restaurant is and et cetera. And, and you start dealing with people and you know, not to sound once again cliche, but you know, people have problems everywhere, people have successes everywhere, people are happy everywhere, people are sad everywhere, people are brilliant everywhere. There's some people who don't contribute as much as they probably should to society everywhere. And then you realize how similar the world truly is. And once you realize that, then it allows you to be 
like a chameleon, right? Like you feel like you're one with the world. And so, you know, yeah, I might be in Southern California today and then tomorrow I'm in India um, and you know, they're people. And so you just allow yourself to be able to, and of course there's obviously nuances, right? I mean, we're not the exact same in terms of how everything is done with regulations and cultures and things like that, but those are adaptable. Once you have the human culture down and, and you can work with people, the rest is easy. So you've traveled a lot. Obviously, we've had a pandemic where we're not fortunate position where we can, you know, travel as much as we could with the pandemic going on in the world. What have you learned during that period? You know, you, you've spent a lot more time at home, which I'm guessing, you know, what life lessons could you share with us today? That's a great question. Um, I've gone through phases since. So my last trip outside the United States, I, I flew to go to a conference in Amsterdam, or I should say in the Netherlands, actually was specifically in Utrecht. And upon arrival, that's when they canceled it. <laughs> so um, it was like, I flew, I flew to Europe for a conference that never happened. Fortunately, I, I made the most out of it that week. I had some clients there, some friends there. Um, and that also, that specific week, which was the week of ending, it was the second week of March. So it would have been the March 13th, 14th. Um, it, that was the week that globally, Corona was Corona and COVID was deemed a global pandemic. And so that's when it started settling into Europe. And um, there was a travel ban that said, you know, you could fly back to the United States only if you're American. And I had a flight. So I was in, I was in uh, Amsterdam that week. Um, and then I went to Paris by train. I had dinner with a client and very good friend of mine in Paris and then flew out on that Saturday, March 14th. And it was the, um, it was the last night in Paris. I, when I actually landed back in Miami, he texted me and goes, we made it just in time because our whole country's locked down right now. Um, and so I actually had come back from Europe. That was my last time leaving the States. I still haven't been out of the States since. Um, and I think the major learning lessons that I've learned since being working from home for the past 15, 16 months, even what you and I are doing right now, we're looking at each other, you're in England, I'm here in the United States, and it might as well be like we're sitting, staring at each other across the table with the exception of it's digital, it's not real, or I should say reality. Um, I, I really do miss being in front of people. I really do miss the handshakes. I really do miss coffees and, and being in front of those people on a personal level. Uh, obviously we couldn't do that. So we had to go other ways around the mountain, which has been fortunate to technology. We can do this like we're doing right now. Um, there's pros and cons to both. So I would say, as opposed to practically living on a plane, like I was before COVID, there are things that have now changed in this global culture of video conferences and phone calls and things like that, where does absolute excessive travel make the most sense? I mean, don't get me wrong. If I could have my life back the way it was, I'd take it. <laughs> I'd take it in a heartbeat. Um, I loved it and I wouldn't have changed it. Uh, but I, I would say I've learned a, a new way, an updated way of, of networking. Uh, it's, as much work as it was traveling around the world all the time like I did, it's equally as hard just in a different way doing this. I mean, you know, if you're on a flight for 10 hours, 
And yeah, you can do some work and maybe you get some reading in, you watch a movie or two, whatever it may be. Um, you now have those 10 hours back and you, you can schedule calls on the half hour. And so all of a sudden you're naturally talking to 15 to 30 more people each day. And then what do you do? I mean, and keep in mind, I'm a professional networker, right? I'm not building solid materials every single day or devices. So, you know, it's a lot more networking. The networking is a lot easier. However, I think the, the delicateness of how you manage and actually build those relationships remains delicate because, you know, the person that you saw two years ago and you haven't seen or talked to since, but you sat down and had a coffee with or a cocktail with, when you see them, you can't forget that you spent that in-person time together, right? But when you take 10,000 video calls, you might not remember even seeing that person six months later if it really wasn't that established connection. So, you know, I think once the world, which we are opening up as we speak right now, once the world fully opens back up and we have the option to go back to normal the way it was before, I think there will obviously be some tweaks and changes and there will be some remnants of what has changed culturally um, and how we interact and how we communicate and how we do these video podcasts and video conferences. Some of that will resonate. I, I think, you know, having spoken to dozens of entrepreneurs and investors and professionals at this point who had the opportunity to get back on planes and go back at network in person, they've all taken it up. They all love being back in front of each other and shaking hands and doing business in person. So that's good to hear. Um, I, I do think though that there will be more understanding of how you can, as opposed to maybe jumping on a plane for a day trip, you might be able to get that done with a video call at this point. So I think it'll be a more healthy blend. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. It's been a very strange time. And, you know, the first opportunity I'm going to get to travel, I'm going to take it. And I, oh, yeah. I think most people in the world would agree with that. Absolutely. And so, Giovanni, it comes down to one thing. Is In terms of wrap this up, uh, what one piece of advice would you leave the listeners with today? Any more guidance on that or just open-ended like that? I mean, that open-ended, whether that's life, whether that's med tech, what one piece of advice would you leave for the listeners today? The pandemic gave us an opportunity to change, to evolve, to adapt. And if you haven't used your time as wisely or as efficiently as you could have, if you haven't grown in some way, both personally and professionally over this change, um, it's never too late. I can say, you know, some people who might have crawled into a fetal position and was worried and et cetera. And, and some people had every right to be. Um, but as opposed to just putting your own life on hold and you know letting these 15 months, 16 months of opportunity pass, um, I would just say I'm big on organization, I'm big on efficiencies, and I'm big on squeezing the juice out of your life. And, and I've worked really, really hard over the past 15, 16 months during this massive change to network as much as I possibly can, learn as much as I possibly can, read as much as I possibly can, um, get through and adapt as best as you possibly can throughout these times. And I, once I can get back on a plane, once I can start traveling again, once I can have somewhat of normalcy and I can then choose what I want to be normal after that, um, I can definitely say that I use my time wisely and I loved what I, I did over this COVID period. Um, and it's not even just about the COVID period, but you know, moving forward, if, if you have a purpose in life, follow it. If you don't have a purpose yet because you haven't found it, 
work really hard to continue finding it until you do. Um, but never stop working, never stop trying, and network is hell. Words of wisdom for a very well-traveled man. <laughs> you know, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and I hope to have you again in the future. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on here, Karen Dave. Thank you very much. Take care. Thank you for listening to the sixth episode of the MedTech Podcast. If you have not already done so, please subscribe. If you want to learn more about Giovanni, you can connect with him on LinkedIn or visit his website at mrmedtech.com. If there are any particular topics you would like for me to discuss or particular guests that you want me to have on in the show in the future, then please also feel free to reach out to me.